You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from denverstiffs.com, Adam Mades. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mades from denverstiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Today's episode of the show is going to be on the loss to the San Antonio Spurs in San Antonio, like the 18th loss in a row. I don't know what it was. Denver has not won since March of 2012 in San Antonio, so the streak continues. There's a lot of notes from this game, a lot of stuff to get to. I think, you know, it's one of those ones where Denver was, you know, a three-point underdog in this game. They end up losing by eight. Um, It went more or less uh, how you expected just in terms of outcomes and success. But there still are some interesting notes, including how the San Antonio Spurs defended the Denver Nuggets, which I think was very interesting. There were four days off for both teams leading into this game. Because of the holiday break, Christmas Eve and Christmas, neither team played on Christmas. Um, So there was a big break. And then on top of that, Denver plays San Antonio twice. They play them Wednesday. They also play them Friday at Pepsi Center. And so that lends itself to a team spending a little bit more time than they typically would on game planning and preparing for these two games. You look at personnel, the scouting report probably a little bit larger than it is for your typical regular season game. A lot of times for teams in the NBA, they play so many games you know, every other night with travel in between or whatever that the game plans can be relatively simple. This guy is a good shooter. Close out on him. Run him off the line. We're going to ice this pick and roll. This guy needs boxed out. Stuff like that. Well, I thought in this game, one of the things that was so interesting about it was that San Antonio seemed to have a very specific game plan for Denver for their entire defensive scheme. And that game plan appeared to be force the ball out of Nikola Jokic's hands, force him to be a passer. You know, if he gives up 10 assists, whatever, but dare the others on the team to beat uh, to beat us. And in, the, in this game, Juancho Hernan Gomez had a great night, a career night. Malik Beasley ended up knocking down shots late in the game, although I thought, you know, for the first 40 minutes or so, 43 minutes or so of this game, he, he did not knock down shots. Then Jamal Murray really struggled tonight. Trey Lyles has continued to struggle. Torrey Craig, he was, I think, two for five for overall from the field tonight, so it wasn't on paper, actually three of six. So on paper, not a bad shooting night, but he plays 34 minutes and gets just six shots. I think that's the bigger, you know, that, that stands out to me more than anything. So I thought it was a very smart game plan from San Antonio. But let's get let's go all the way through the notes. I'll talk a little bit more about that as we get on. My first note was that LaMarcus Aldridge came out in this game just absolutely on fire. Uh, he finished the night, I think he had a, t- a game-high 27. Oh, nope, DeMar DeRozan actually 30. But he was 13 of 19, LaMarcus Aldridge was, from the field. Just remarkable efficiency, and I thought he was very comfortable all night. There weren't a lot of tough shots, and the tough shots that he had, he was already in rhythm. I could think of one, he hits a fallaway baseline, actually two fallaway baselines at the end of the shot clock, which are shots you know he probably only shoots 40% on, even though that's his shot, a 15-foot fallaway with a hand contesting it's still very good job on, by, on Denver's part, but he was so comfortable throughout the whole game that those games, well, while they're typically maybe 40% shots, in a night like tonight, they're probably 60% shots just because of how in rhythm he was. Um, I mentioned the Spurs were doubling. There's a couple big important notes from this. I, you know, I'm very interested to see. I think the most interesting thing coming from this game 
is how Denver responds on Friday, and in particular how Michael Malone adjusts the game plan uh, in anticipation of the Spurs continuing what they did. They would send two guys at Jokic early on when he would get a post-touch, and they would send sometimes three guys just to say, you know what, get the ball out of his hands. They gave up a lot of spot-up opportunities, um, and, and you know Denver could have punished them by making all of those and having a hot night. They were very susceptible to that. Um, but I thought it was interesting that Denver thought we're not going to allow Jokic to score tonight, um, and, and they did a very, very good job of that. I, a lot of people I saw putting, you know, hit me up on Twitter and and hey, Jokic isn't scoring the first half. I think he only had he didn't have a field goal. He only had a free throw or something like that. And people were like, hey, what do you think about him not shooting? And you know, there are there have been games previous previously this year, and we've talked about them extensively where Jokic has gone into what I've called emotional slumps where he's not shooting almost out of protest and he has maybe B-minus looks that situationally he needed to take or just be more aggressive here or there. I thought tonight Jokic actually made good decisions for the most part. I mean, San Antonio was dedicated to not allowing him to get shots off. And, and Jokic is such a good player that if you're prepared for that, you should be able to generate wide-open looks, and Denver got good looks anyway. Um, but I didn't think there was a lot of opportunities in this game where I thought, oh, he needed to shoot that one. Um, later on, I'm going to talk about some things he can do individually to make himself more effective in these situations. But I thought Jokic was very patient tonight in, in reading the defense and finding the open guy. Denver, unfortunately, just couldn't knock anything down. Fat Lever was on the call tonight. I think I love I got to say I love Scott Hastings and Chris Marlowe. I mean, they really are two of my favorites, uh, you know, just guys call they have such a unique style i think chris marlowe he almost gets more into it than most um play-by-play -play guys he has more enthusiasm and excitement than most uh scott hastings is like everybody's buddy at the bar fat lever comes in denver legend and it's funny the the lack of center you really notice the lack of synergy tonight uh chris marlowe set him up for a wancho three to which fat lever replied wancho three <laughs> So there was just a couple of ones like that. I think there was one earlier Marlowe said, do you mind if I call you fat and, and fat lever, which I thought everybody called him fat. He goes, I'll have to get back to you on that. I just thought, oh man, uh, funny, funny kind of interactions there. Wancho was on fire though. I mean, this was a great game for him. I maintain that Wancho is the single best player on the Nuggets roster at playing off of Nikola Jokic. He's not the most impactful. There's other guys, obviously, that are much better even alongside Jokic. But just in terms of stylistically, the things he does um, to move and get open off ball, he's he's deadly from three. Six of seven from the three-point line tonight, which is just absurd. 27 points. He also grabbed 13 rebounds. But he, he just knows where to be on the court. Some of the cuts he had, some of the best plays between Jokic and Wancho tonight weren't just the kick out threes. They were cuts early in the shot clock to establish position inside, but he doesn't linger there. Like a guy like Plumlee cuts a lot on those, but if he doesn't get the ball, he posts up for too long. Today he had a three-second violation. Wancho just moves so well off ball, and he does so many things to sort of open up passing lanes and make himself available for the assist that I just love watching him. If Denver trades Wancho, there will probably be a pointed article written on DenverStiffs.com. It better be for a super-duper star because Wancho is just such a great fit there alongside Jokic. Another interesting note from this game, Michael Malone pulled Jokic early um, in both halves, in both the first and second half, and I thought that was really interesting um, and maybe not necessarily in a good way. It looked like he wanted Plumlee to match up 
more with LaMarcus Aldridge, although that did that kind of backfired. But I, I understand why Jokic has been cooked by Aldridge in the past. Um, it's just a bad matchup all around. So maybe that was the thinking, um, but it was weird. I thought part of why Jokic, you know, didn't establish a scoring rhythm is he he seemed to play tonight in five minute intervals. Usually Jokic will play four stretches, um, you know, two in the first half, two in the second half. Tonight I think he played six stretches, so it was an extra rotation and an extra trip to the bench and then back up for him. And I thought that was kind of an interesting decision. He also did not play Trey Lyles in the entire first quarter. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. I have an article coming out on, on Trey Lyles with some really, really interesting stats that um, I'm going to tease today, but you can check denverstiffs.com tomorrow afternoon for that article. Um, transition, transition defense was a real problem in this game for the Nuggets. They, as much as the half court, you know, you look at it, they scored 111 points, they allowed 111 points, but really a lot of what killed Denver was just some of these bad transition opportunities where they allowed San Antonio to go on these little runs. They had a 12, I think a 12 to 2 run in the first half. They had that 15 0 run in the second half. And a lot of those were off of, first of all, bad offense, clunky offense, but just not having good floor balance and getting back. Um, and, and so that, you know, when you talk about where a game is this tight, Six, seven, eight fast break points that you could have prevented. That's that's all the difference. Another note I have in here, you know, Beasley and Wancho both get lost just so much um, when there's three or four rotations that have to be made. They're, they can hang for one or two. They can make hustle plays. But when the, when the game becomes more of a thinker's game in the half court, and a team like San Antonio is very good about being patient, moving the ball multiple times, forcing several rotations, there just were a handful of times tonight where both guys cl- closed out on the same guy or both guys sort of looked, you know, didn't realize where each other were on the court. And when you have two of the guys that are like that, it can really be difficult to defend at a high level. So I, I, it's not all on them. I think everybody defensively tonight was was below par for them. Um, but those two guys in particular, I think, just are consistently bad at making multiple rotations on defense. Torrey Craig is an interesting one. He makes some offensively. He makes some decent cuts, and we've seen him be a good cutter. But he also very consistently cuts at half speed, and it's kind of infuriating. Jokic had two turnovers tonight, uh, both on back cuts to him where he was wide open, but for some reason he jogged into the cut. The second one I think was even more egregious because Jokic threw it to him. He was on the jog on the cut, and as soon as the, the throw happened, he started to sprint, but it was too late. And I think it's one of those things where cuts are effective because they are done with proper timing, change of speed and direction. And when you jog into them, it's very difficult for the passer to to know, you know, to anticipate. So a lot of times Jokic will throw that pass on the first cut. He'll notice if the defender ha- it gets a step behind on the cut and then he'll throw it in anticipation of where the player should be. But if you only cut half speed, you know, it's hard to anticipate. So there were a couple tonight. I thought Jokic tonight, there were four or five times where he just seemed so frustrated with Torrey Craig offensively. And you could kind of see him, and even defensively, you can kind of see him throw his hands in the air at him. But Torrey Craig fell down on two backdoor cuts where I think he fell down in part because he just did not cut hard enough. Denver also closed out short on several possessions. We've talked about this in the past, but I'll bring it up again. 
three-point defense keeps being referenced by different analysts um, as, oh, Denver's the best at opponent shooting three-point percentage. And I've talked about why I think that's more random than people realize tonight, a, a, a good example of that. Um, but there are – that's not to say that there are things Denver can do that can help you uh, limit a team's mo – mostly you limit their opportunities, but you certainly l limit their wide-open opportunities. And tonight, Trey Lyles – uh, Wancho Hernan Gomez, Jamal Murray all had possessions where they closed out shallow. They just did not fully extend and run guys off of the line. I think their defense is at the best when they're running guys off the line, but there just were some today where they very obviously and blatantly closed out shallow with a hand up and guys just like, oh, okay, well, if you're not going to challenge the shot, if you're not going to all the way get into my zone to challenge the shot, then I'll just rise up and shoot with, com with confidence. And that was a problem tonight. Four, I mentioned 14-2 to two run by San Antonio was really bad, and, and Bellinelli, a lot of these were short, shallow closeouts, and Bellinelli was a beneficiary of them. Lyle takes a um, a lot of shots early in the, in the shot clock um, that I think ill-advised shots early in the shot clock. It's interesting. One of the things I have coming out tomorrow talking about some of the differences between when the Nuggets have Jokic on the court without Lyles, Lyles on the court without Jokic, and then the two of them together. And one of the things that's pretty consistent with Lyles is the pace speeds up when he's on the court. And I think part of that is because he likes to take you know, he likes to attack guys in transition and off of a scramble. Um, he's he, one of his favorite things to do just as a player is attack closeouts. Well, you think in transition, you get a lot of opportunities to attack closeouts because often you're attacking a scrambled defense. Well, you look at it and even tonight was a good example. He took two or three shots just so early in the shot clock where you're like, man, that's a B minus shot. And when Jokic is on the court, I think patience is just so much more important. Um, he, he fouled DeRozan on one closeout that was really egregious, just the type of play where you play great defense for 20 seconds and then you foul a jump shooter for no reason. Um, Torrey Craig does this a lot as well. I talk about this fairly often on the show. It's very... I think the best thing a team can do defensively is just constantly and consistently make shots 10% harder on the defense. So it's not always about blocking shots, getting steals, or eliminating shots. It's just let's make this 10% harder on them so that their their efficiency is a little bit down. Well, Torrey Craig had a couple where Denver played great defense. You force a guy into a turnaround, fallaway, contested jumper. That's good enough. That's a win. You don't need a bigger win than that. That's that's already a win. You force them into a shot that you know they probably shoot 20% on. But if you try to go for even further and get the block shot, well, you you put yourself at risk for getting a foul. Trey Lyles had an egregious one in that second quarter, as did Torrey Craig, and those are the types of plays that can really kill you when you play great defense and then bail them out at the end. Um, here's an interesting one. Torrey Craig, Juancho Hernan Gomez, and Mason Plumley. I think all three of those guys, they steal rebounds too often. And what I mean by steal – you know, Steven Adams is the ultimate um, rebound machine. You look at his rebounds per game, they're not that high. But, man, he boxes out and he creates rebound opportunities for others. Jokic is a guy who consistently shows up very favorably in rebound metrics, not just because he personally rebounds well, but because the team rebounds really well when he's on the floor. The counter to that is what those three guys I just mentioned, Craig, Wancho, and Lyles all do, which is, or Plumley all do, which is they often jump over their own teammates to grab rebounds. And I don't know if this is a thing where 
they they're just trying to go hard and never assume the rebound is secured till you grab it kind of thing or if it's a little bit more of a there's a little bit more of an awareness there of oh I'm I'm really up boosting my rebound numbers but for whatever reason those guys far too often turn the ball over because they're fighting with each other for rebounds and there was a really bad one of those tonight um and you just kind of shake your head at again it's a tough thing for a coach to sort of point out because you want guys to be aggressive going for boards but it's become enough of a trend that it's at least something to kind of point out in the film room of of say hey you guys these rebounds aren't the important ones when it's just three of our players jumping for it Um, be a little bit more selective I can't believe how good Monte Morris is. This guy, uh, there's a couple bright spots from tonight's game. One of them was Juancho Hernan Gomez making six of seven three-pointers. Another one is just that Monte Morris continues to be um, such a solid player for the Denver Nuggets. 15 points tonight, four assists, three steals, and they were some big-time steals, three of five from the three-point line. And his, his shooting from the from three this year, I think he's up to 45%. But a lot of this has to do, I say this all the time, half of shooting is ability. The other half is shot selection. And Monte Morris has elite shot selection. He puts himself in position to be a good shooter. And he he just knocks down the right shots. He doesn't take the bad ones. He takes A plus three point shots. And that's his role. If everybody did that, um, they, they would like, like Trey Lyles has a lot of skill. If he, if he had Monte Morris's shot selection, I, I think his numbers would be way up. Um, Marlowe had a great call today on the game. He's too good to be true. And that's, that's really how I feel about Monte Morris. One of the big questions, and I don't want to address it now is where does, where does Isaiah Thomas fit back into the mix? And I am of the opinion that, as long as Monte Morris is healthy, I just don't know that you that you need him. Monte Morris has been as good as you can hope from the backup point guard position. Denver did take the lead in that second quarter. They had some momentum, um, let let go of it a little bit at the end of the half, um, and then in the third quarter, all of that first half, but especially in the third quarter, Denver just could not get anything going from inside in this game. They were outscored by twenty points in points in the paint in this game, forty eight to twenty eight. And a lot of that had to do with, again, San Antonio's game plan was to wall off the interior, especially on post-ups to double-team Jokic. And Denver ended up just becoming much more of a perimeter-oriented team in this game. Some interesting stats from cleaning the glass. Uh, In the half court, Denver was just in the 26th percentile on offensive efficiency. But what was really interesting is you look at the shot frequency in this game. Denver took 26% of their shots in this game from what was considered short mid-range, which is basically um, you know, basically the foul line in. If you drew a three-point or you know, an arc from the foul line and in, that would be a short mid-range as opposed to a long mid-range, which would be between the free throw line and the three-point line. Denver had a lot of those shorter uh, floater zone shots, um, short jump shots, jump hooks, things like that. Denver, 26% of their shots, which for reference – that was in the 89th percentile for frequency amongst all NBA games this season. So they put a t- took a disproportionate amount of their shots in that short mid-range zone. But here's what's crazy. They shot just 13%. 13% on those shots um, in, in this game. That is in the 
the second percentile, meaning only 1% of games or 2% of games this season did a team shoot worst from that short mid-range zone, and Denver took an enormous amount of them. So that, that you have to tip your hat to San Antonio for their game plan. I think they did a good job of forcing Denver into those shots where Denver usually gets to the rim a lot more, um, and then Denver just it wasn't their night on those shots. Murray, uh, even Monte Morris, a lot of guys missed from that zone um, who usually make it. The offense was struggling, and then this was a weird decision. I thought I mentioned it earlier, but Jokic went back to the bench just five minutes into the third quarter. And again, I talk about Jokic has been the more minutes he plays, usually the better off he is. Denver is on the first game of a three games and four nights um, little stretch right here. So maybe it's trying to conserve energy, but, uh, you know, five minutes here, five minutes there, it's very choppy rotation. And, and I thought that was a, a bit of a strange rotation for Malone to go to um Spurs immediately went on a run after that I mean not too surprising but it, their starters versus Denver without their best player was, was tough I I talked about this earlier but Plumley defending Aldridge LaMarcus Aldridge is a finesse player and he's a great shooter and a great fallaway shooter what he does and what makes him so valuable is if he gets to his spots, he is really he has that fall away, that high release, and he's seven feet tall or six eleven. That you you really can't block him. You just have to hope he misses. The way to defend him is to knock him off of his spots, get physical with him, and prevent him from getting to his spots. Push him off the block an extra step. As he tries to make his attack moves, cut off his angles so that he doesn't get to where he wants to be on the floor. Well, I thought Plumlee tonight did not do that. Guarded him for most of the night. He was the primary defender on him. But he he seemed to keep wanting to block his shot. You can't block. Aldridge doesn't get his shot blocked very often. And there was a lot of times where he just kind of allowed him to get to where he's going to go, crouched down like he was going to block the shot, and then jumped for it. it just, he just had no chance. And I thought all night Aldridge was very comfortable. This was an easy game for Aldridge because he just kept going to his spots and shooting follow and they, and they just all went in. We got to talk about that end of third quarter foul on Monte Morris because this is now the second game in a row where Denver has fouled a three-point shooter in the final seconds of a quarter. These are killer fouls. Denver had tied the game. As bad as they had played, they tied the game right going into the fourth quarter. There's just a couple seconds left, and Monte Morris moving his feet now the Nuggets had a foul to give, so maybe Monte was thinking foul in that situation. He actually puts his hands down and is backpedaling, but he still put himself in position for the refs to make a bad call. It was, in my opinion, a bad call, and it's it's such a crucial one. Anytime you call a foul on a three-point shooter on a heave, you know you better be certain. And I thought on this one, the referees... Uh, it was a little bit perplexing that they would call that one. But at the same time, don't put yourself in position there. You have to know what a, what the opponent is trying to do, and you just have to avoid it. So that was killer. It happened in the Clippers game with Jamal Murray shooting too early and then Wancho fouling a guy in transition. Well, it happened here, another transition play, and it killed all momentum to end the quarter. Um, you open up the fourth quarter, and I don't – look, I don't think it was a momentum thing. I actually think it had more to do with the lineup – I mentioned I'd talk about this a little bit earlier, but the Trey Lyles Nikola Jokic um, combination has been absolutely abysmal this season. Here's a crazy stat for you: 
So, and this is going to be, I'm going to write a, a more in-depth piece on this tomorrow uh, on Denver Stiffs, but you look at net rating, which is points allowed, or I'm sorry, points scored minus points allowed per 100 possessions. When Jokic shares the court, if you look at two-man combinations, so any, t- any lineups featuring both Jokic and Paul Millsap, the Nuggets are a plus 9.3. Jokic and Wancho plus 9.1. Those are the two best. Jokic and Monte Morris plus 8.6. You go down the list. All of these guys are positive. Um, the third worst is actually Gary Harris, surprisingly enough, at plus 5.7, which is great. If you outscore opponents by 5.7 points per 100 possessions, you're really, really good. Um, the two bad ones, Torrey Craig at plus 2.5, so still a, still a positive. Second worst two-man combination is still a positive. And then the, the worst, Trey Lyles, who has played 167 minutes plus whatever they played together tonight, is a minus 9. Minus 9. That's all lineup combinations. So, for example, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, um, you know, Monte Morris and Trey Lyles and Nikola Jokic. That's you think about, okay, we know those four guys are really good. What happens when you add Trey Lyles? It's terrible. It's amazing how much those two do not play. And I'm going to talk, not play well together. And I'm going to talk about the reasons why I believe those guys are not just a bad fit this year. Statistically, they were a bad fit last year. And I just think they're a bad fit overall. And also some of the implications for what that means for how Denver handles this trade deadline and this his looming free agency. It's, it's actually a point of quite a bit of concern for me personally, worrying about how Denver handles that. But they just are not good. Well, you start that quarter with both of those guys on the court. I, again, I just think Denver's worst option that you could go to. And so it's a little bit not of a, not too surprising that San Antonio opened that quarter on a 10-2 to run. Um, and by that point, the game, you talk about being down two going into the fourth, a 10-2 run, all of a sudden now you're down 10, and it's just, it, it, it sucks. It was, it was a really, really tough way to open that quarter given how much Denver had just hung around in the game for three quarters despite not playing great. Out of the timeout, Jamal Murray, so the Nuggets call a timeout to try, try to stop the bleeding, and I think they actually used three timeouts in like four minutes in this quarter because they just cannot figure out what to do in that moment and how to kind of stop the bleeding. Well, out of a timeout, Jamal Murray gets a wide open three. He had been off all night. He gets a wide open three. He shoots and he holds his poles. Jakob Pertl closes out on him, did a good job. Jakob Pertl's a long body. I thought Jamal Murray took a little bit of an extra second, probably because of how off he had been. He wanted to be a little bit extra cautious on getting that shot off in rhythm. Well, he holds his pose for a little bit too long. Pertl runs the difference or the distance. Murray doesn't get back and out of a timeout, you miss a wide open three and give up a transition dunk to a seven foot, like, you know, trotter. Like, Jakob Pertl's not a fast dude, but he beats you in transition. That's just, it was just brutal. This was a terrible game for Jamal Murray. He was really, really bad in this one. The numbers bared out. He was, let me look at this. A minus 20, but by far the worst, double worse than anybody else on the team. Minus 20 in his 27 minutes, four of 19 from the field, one of eight from the three point line, which is, I think, the most <laughs> confusing part of Murray's game. Here's a crazy step, but, but this stretch, actually, I'm going to finish off the stretch here because it didn't end there. You give up that three easy dunk, and now you go from down 10 to down 13. And it's just, at that point, I think the game was over. Um, 
he there was another play in between there then another play comes up Murray takes the ball up the court and just gets ripped I, I mean for whatever reason he was sloppy with the ball or he, I think it was DeMar DeRozan just walks up and steals it from him goes the distance and gets the, the lay-in and the game was over at that point there was still like eight minutes to go but Denver had just gone from tied to down 15 over the course of like four minutes of game clock so uh it was really 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 a tough stretch for him here's a crazy statistic for you and there was a little bit of conversation about this in the various group chats I have. Um, we, we, all my group chats are with people who write about the league and write about the NBA or different teams or whatever. But Jamal Murray now has a worse three-point percentage on the season than Markel Fultz. This is really a crazy statistic. 28.5% from the three-point line on the season, below 30%. Markel Fultz, um, very in the spotlight this season and, and you know, <laughs> for quite some time, and including last season for just sort of the mental issues he is having shooting the ball. Um, maybe some physical issues too, but he is high profile for how bad and, and unreliable he is from three, and he is actually shooting a better percentage than Jamal Murray. I don't know what to make of this. We are now 30, 33 games into the season for the Denver Nuggets. Um, I think it's a large enough sample size to at least draw some conclusions. Now, we know Jamal Murray is a good three-point shooter. His efficiency throughout his career to this point has, has been very good given his age. Um, we've seen him get hot and score 48 points. You know, he has this explosiveness to his game. But how many great shooters go through extended slumps the way that he has? This is his third season, and now all three seasons he has opened on a slump, this one being his longest slump. I mean, the, previously we're talking about 14 games, you know, 10 games, 12 games, something here. To be 30 games into the season and to be shooting 28%. And, by, mind the, by the way, he's getting the most wide-open three-point attempts of anybody on the team. It's, it's a little alarming to me. Now, I do think that his three-point shooting will go up quite a bit once Will Barton and Gary Harris return. I think he suffers a little bit from so much attention being on him and him having such a, a big responsibility. But at the same time, that doesn't change the fact that night in and night out, he is getting wide-open looks and and just not hitting him, not knocking him down. So uh, I think it's something really to be concerned about. Um Malone actually pulled Jamal Murray after that rip. I think he was very frustrated. His post-game comments today, you could tell there was some irritation there. He was irritated with his young point guard. A, a quick note on Jokic. He didn't have a lot of field goal. I think one of five. Yeah, just one of five from the field tonight. His one make was a three-pointer. Uh, he did get fouled on one non-shooting play, but he went to the free-throw line. So uh, not a great in scoring night from him. And again, I think a lot of this has to do with the design of what San Antonio was doing. I don't think this was a game where he was ever going to score 20 points. I think San Antonio, they did what they had to do to make sure he had a low scoring night, but still four points from him is still below the threshold of what I think he should have got tonight. And one of the reasons, one of the adjustments I think he could have made without the help of a coaching staff or anything, just one thing as a player he needs to recognize is they were sending that double very, very quickly. Um, sometimes as soon as he caught it, other times, as soon as he put it on the floor. But one thing Jokic needs to add to his arsenal is a quick move. Uh, he likes to sort of get the ball, read the court, back down with two or three dribbles before he kind of swings his hips and, and, and goes one way or the other. I think he what he needs to add is just a quick 
a quick move, whether that's a fall away, you know, that Dirk fall away, uh, an up and under that goes towards the basket. If you, there's, there's moves you can make really, really quickly that um, you can catch a defense before they're able to uh, double team. And there were some opportunities in this game for him to do that, especially in the fourth quarter, and he just did not. He tried to survey the court and play too slow. So mixing it up, as much as I think Jokic makes the right decision so often, even when he's being quote-unquote passive, um, I still think there's ways that he can keep the defense honest and give different looks by adding a few different moves to his game than the ones he's most comfortable with. Tough loss for Denver. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit more about tomorrow on tomorrow's show about how much longer can Denver survive this shorthanded. This was a game where you really felt how shorthanded Denver was. If some of those kickouts aren't going to Trey Lyles and to Torrey Craig and Jamal Murray when he wasn't making it, but instead are going to Gary Harris and Paul Millsap and, um, and, and Will Barton, you know, maybe you make a few more of those. So I, I do think that Denver might be getting to a point now where teams are figuring out how to defend them as shorthanded as they are. Uh, and I'll be curious to see if other teams try to double Jokic as, as strongly as the Spurs did tonight. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I will be back again tomorrow with a brand new episode. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.